0: Hey man, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good, good, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you for having me back. Yeah, no, no, th- thank you for coming back on. The last podcast that I had actually had uh, tens of thousands of listens, so I-, I really appreciate you coming back on, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I think one of the reasons that the last podcast uh, became so popular is that you chose a very provocative title, you know, making $91 million trading options at the start of the pandemic, I think is what it was, and uh, it-, it catches people's eyes. And, uh, so I think that's, that's, it was very, you know, and I made that statement in passing doing the podcast. I didn't know that you were going to make that the title, uh, but I'm glad you did. It worked out. And I think you got some exposure that you rightfully deserve. You know, you're really good at what you do.
0: I really appreciate it. It's, it's been a process, honestly, but, uh, yeah, man, the, the 91 million is a, is a bunch of money. I just wanted to tell the viewers that, that we spoke before the show and that you ended up, you ended up actually walking me through your brokerage account and showed me some of your positions. Uh, and I just think it's crazy how much your portfolio moves on a day to day basis. I think you said you were up over two mil on Wednesday alone.
1: Um, is that is that what it said? Yeah. I think, I think it was like one point eight, roughly. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, one 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 point eight or so. Yeah, and you know, a, a swing like that, one point eight million in a day, it's uh, it, you know, that's, that's a good day, but it's not an abnormal day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so we see, we see swings in both directions on a day-to-day basis with, you know, the amount of money that I'm, I'm investing and I'm trading with. Um, so, you know, but you, when it comes to the market, the majority of the movements that you see are overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very common for me to wake up in the morning, uh, and I'm up a million dollars before I eat breakfast. Uh, you know that's not unusual. and you know you don't make a million dollars every day some days you lose money mm-hmm. uh, and the key to the game is to just have more green days than red days
0: mm-hmm. Other than investing in trading what what else are you currently doing right now?
1: Uh, so, my, you know, my my stocks uh, and my options, my my portfolio is mm-hmm. organized uh, as a hedge fund, like a family office hedge fund. Um, I also have uh, a private equity fund um, that I take minority stakes in and smaller smaller companies across the country. I have two tech companies that I founded and um, that I'm still I'm still uh, intricately involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, between when it comes to the funds, the the hedge fund and the private equity fund, uh, we don't take any outside money. it's all it's all um, it's all personal assets. Uh, i I considered opening it up uh, to outside capital. Uh, but once I uh, you know spoke to some lawyers and I learned about uh, the regulatory climate and the compliance um, burden of taking outside money uh, in a fund my side I decided against it, uh, it just seemed like, uh, a distraction
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so we you know maybe one day I will open up the funds and take outside outside money but right now I don't um, you, uh, you know across the funds and the tech companies I have around I have around 125 full-time employees give or take mm-hmm. um, and so yeah that's that's the whole work
0: that's crazy so how do you find the time to manage all of that in, in a day
1: um, you, you know it It's, it's an interesting question. Uh, You know, it seems like I'm overworked, but I'm, I'm, I'm really not, Mm. you know, let let me ask you this. If if I were to ask you how many hours there are in a day, you know, most people would say what?
0: 24,
1: 24. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the way I see it is, you know, I have 125 employees. Each one is giving me eight hours a day. Mm. Right. So I have a thousand hours a day of productivity under my control. Mm. Uh, So if you look at if you look at it from that perspective, it's, you know, I'm able to squeeze a thousand hours of work in uh, every day, mm-hmm. um, right? Because I have I have a team, and so uh, if you manage your time effectively, and you're good at delegation, and you're good at hiring good people and retaining talent, uh, you can really get a lot done in a short amount of time.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting way to think about it. You know, it's just like you're you're paying for extra time. I don't know. Obviously that's that's what it is, but I guess for like my little mind, right? It just kind of puts me into a loop. So that's that's really cool. Yeah. But I mean, how much how much sleep do you get? Do you prior, prioritize that?
1: Uh yeah, I do. I do. I I try to get a full 8 hours um and I definitely do prioritize mm. sleep. Uh now, you know, as as a trader and as an entrepreneur, I have to keep my um, I have to stay fully rested mm-hmm. uh, to keep my head in the game. You know, when I have a full night's sleep, a full eight hours, you know, I think more clearly, my mood is better, and I'm able to be more focused mm-hmm. and all those things. And, and you know, in my, in my position professionally at this stage, I really make my money by making two to three high quality decisions every day. Mm-hmm. My job is not to make thousands of decisions a day. Right. And so the way I see it, you know, let's just say I let's say I cut my sleep down from eight hours to four hours. And so now I have four more, you know, so-called productive hours throughout Mm -hmm. my day. And so you add that to the 12 or so that, you know, you're already productive. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, Now you have 16. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're effectively getting like 33 percent more time to make to make decisions. And so if I'm going to make 100 decisions, I can now make 133, 133 decisions, give or take. Now is you know, is that additional time and that additional those additional decisions that I can make now, mm-hmm. is that worth? Uh, is that worth impacting the quality of those decisions mm-hmm. uh, because I'm grouchy and I'm tired? You know, uh, and in, in my line of business, one bad decision can cost millions. Um, so I I try to stay fully rested. I, I try not to overwork myself mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, I rather have. Uh, a small amount of good productive hours than a long tiresome day day where I could potentially be causing more harm than um, than good.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know Rockefeller he he has this quote he goes he goes he who works all day has no time to make money, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a little bit. Um, uh, it's all. It's it's kind of the opposite of what you normally hear. Is mm. bust your ass, work hard.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, you know, wake up at four a.m. and then go to the gym and then go to work. And mm.
2: um,
1: and that's kind of what people are told it, that that's what it takes to be successful. But I I found that that's that's not the case. You can work smart. You don't have to work hard.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important because that's pretty much what I picked up in regards to to my dad, right? So not to like this or in like that, like he's a, really, he's a really proud and hardworking man. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't even see him when he woke up in the morning, like at 4 a.m. and then he'd come back really tired and just knock out and it was repeating and repeat. And I think for the people that are listening, I think that's a really valuable lesson that, that the quote that you said, it was from Rockefeller, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I think that was a really great quote because I, I think quality over quantity is, is really important. Um, do you do anything for sleep in particular? Do you feel like magnesium, zinc, uh, melatonin? How do you? Because I'm sure no. stress might get to you, no? Or, or how do you handle
1: no. that? No. Yeah. So so, I, I subscribe to Jeff Bezos's philosophy on stress, mm. right? He says he says that stress primarily comes from not taking action over something that you can have control over. Mm. So, you know, in my life, if I find something that causes me stress, it's a it's a red flag for me, right? Mm-hmm. It means that there's something that I haven't completely identified in my conscious mind that's bothering me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and I haven't taken any action to address it. And as soon as I identify what that is, and I make that first phone call, or send that first email or do whatever is needed to address a situation, even if it doesn't solve it, mm-hmm. the mere fact that I'm addressing it dramatically reduces my stress levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so stress Comes from ignoring things that you shouldn't be ignoring,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I handle stress by addressing the situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't let things fester.
0: Is there any anything that helps you like relax on your in your free time when you're not addressing addressing situations like that?
1: Um, I you know I I go out a lot around town. I have a lot of friends, mm-hmm. and so I'm I have a lot of social commitments. Uh, you know, I think there's like a birthday every three days that (laughs) that that I'm going to. So I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty social guy, so I'm out and about. And so, uh, it's important to get your mind off things sometimes, but Mm -hmm. you don't need to get your mind off things if you're handling things. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so the key, the key is to handle the situation. Um, don't get stressed out, you Mm -hmm. know, make moves.
0: Are you more of an extrovert or introvert, you'd say? Because I know you go out a lot, but I can't really tell if you're like, you'd prefer to be home or, or how do you feel on that?
1: So, you know, the difference between an extrovert and an introvert is, uh, is how you recharge. So, you can be an introvert and be very social, um, and nobody w- would be able to tell you're an introvert, but mm-hmm. there's only so much social interaction you can take at some point you get exhausted and you have to be alone to recharge and that makes you an introvert Mm it doesn't mean that you're quiet and you know you're not social it just means you recharge being Mm -hmm. alone and i'm definitely an introvert Uh, i have a lot of friends of mine that are very extroverted Mm -hmm. and you know they cannot be alone uh so they're uh, when, when they're in, you know, when they're stressed out, when something's not going right, mm. they have to be around other people and that makes them feel better. Uh, for me, it's the, 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 uh, the other way around, uh, you know, if I'm around other people too much, mm. then I kind of prefer to be alone to recharge. Uh, but at the same time, I do, I do enjoy, uh, being out and being about and being around people. It's not something I shy away from.
0: It's funny you say that because whenever I talk to people that I know about that, I usually tell them. It's like, I've already used up my social capital. I'm like, I need to solid like yeah. two <laughs> or three days to recharge. I don't know how you do it, but I'm going to stay my old ass at home, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 You are, you're definitely introverted. For at that sure. Point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, other than investing in trading, uh, I'm sorry. I, I take that back right now. Um, I kind of, I kind of stumbled on, on some like other thing I had in my head, but, um, Let's switch to investing in trading. What's uh, what's your perspective on on risk?
1: Um, you know, risk is part of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Every time you're doing this, you risk losing money. Uh, but you know, you know, aside from investing in trading, nothing in life is worth is worthwhile unless you take risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nelson Mandela, he said, you know, he he once said that there's no passion to be found, and settling for a life that's less than the one you are capable of living. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and if you don't want to settle for less in life, you have to take risk. And, you know, a lot of times um, I'm sure you've heard people tell you, you know, to make sure that you have something to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But I've, I've never understood that concept, having something to fall back on. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'm going to fall, I'd rather just like fall forward. Uh, right. And fall flat on my face and get and figure out how to get back up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Reggie Jackson, you know, he struck out like 2,600 times most strikeouts in the history of baseball. Um, Thomas Edison did like a thousand failed experiments and, uh, you, you, know, you probably didn't know that, uh, I didn't either, uh, mm-hmm. but I found out the thousand and first experiment was when he invented the light bulb. Right. Mm-hmm. So every failed experiment, you know, every risk you take that doesn't pan out, you know, you're one step closer to success. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's there's a there's a quote in one of my favorite movies, Fight Club. If if you've seen it, it goes it goes. Uh, it's only after we've lost everything that we're free to, to do anything. And so I think about that, right? I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm capable and ready to take big risks in my life and in the market. You know, and I'm able to take big bets. And and you know what? If I lose it all, you know, fuck it, I'll build it again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You just start over. It's not. It's not. There's only so much that you can fall. And so you, you have to have a temperament of of being risk tolerant um, to make money in the market, to make money <clears throat> trading, and really to make any kind of progression in life, I think.
0: And that's a very interesting statement that you actually mentioned. Why do you think so many people are, are scared of risk?
1: I think people are scared to fail mm-hmm. more so than they're they're afraid of taking the risk, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. scared of the outcome. Um, and so they're there's an imbalance in their priorities and they feel like, they feel like if they don't take the risk, they don't have the chance of that, uh, that negative outcome. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I think a lot of people don't realize is if you don't take the risk, you're also not going to get that positive outcome. Mm -hmm. And so in some people's minds, you know, some people that are very risk adverse, uh, they rather forego the positive to avoid the negative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a right or wrong way to live, but mm-hmm. that's just not how I'm wired.
0: How are you able to overcome that? Do you think maybe that, like, it, it's your childhood's attributed to that, or do you still get scared, like, on a normal basis or along the journey, or, or how did you manage that?
1: Um, I I feel like I never really had to overcome it i've always been this way
0: okay.
1: uh, i've always been very risk tolerant you know even even as a child mm-hmm. um, i would i would do things uh, that uh, represented a fair amount of risk so long as i saw an upside on the other end mm-hmm. right if there's gold at the other end of the rainbow i'm gonna go find it um, even if the journey is risky and treacherous so i, I don't think i've ever sat down and i had to overcome it, Mm -hmm. uh, where I had to tell myself, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, be courageous, be brave, take risks. It just kind of came natural to me. And I think it's probably wired in people's personalities.
0: I think I think what it is is that you're just a lot more calculated than most people. And I think most people can be like that. It just it just requires that extra due diligence, right? Like that extra work and then that'll overshadow the fear that you have. Because at least for me in particular, when I started out doing the podcast, I was nervous interviewing people, right? But what ended up happening was just like that that drive kind of like overshadowed that fear, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, your risk has to be calculated, right? You mm-hmm. can't be stupid about it, mm-hmm. uh, right? The risk, the risk, the risk-reward ratio has to add up.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and once it's calculated, you do have to accept the fact that things may not work out the way you want, and you have mm-hmm. to accept the downside. Um, and and if and if that makes sense in your head, then you should. And there's no reason to uh, to circle the fire, so to speak, right? Then you just dive right in.
0: Mm-hmm. And kind of tying it to, uh, to risk to reward, how do you identify the, the companies that you invest in?
1: So I, I look for bi- I look for companies, I look for businesses that are simple, predictable, free cash flow generative and mm-hmm. that have a moat around them, uh, right? And we, we identify these by doing research, doing a lot mm-hmm. of research. You know, I have CNBC or Bloomberg playing in my office all day long. We're analyzing SEC filings like 10Qs and we're listening to earnings calls, we're reading analyst reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're doing a fair amount of due diligence. And, you, you know, once we find a company that fits our matrix, you know, that has these components that, you know, a company that is simple, predictable, has good amount of uh, free cash flow, or at least has the potential to get free free cash flow in the, in mm-hmm. the near future. Um, and that is defendable, right? A company that has a motor around it. Once we once we once we find something that fits that matrix and uh you know we look at other factors like quality of management and things like that and once once we find something um and then we look at well you know does the stock price accurately reflect this value Mm -hmm. um and if it doesn't uh then we'll start building a position in that in that firm
0: Mm Talk to me about management really quick, because I remember from the previous podcast, you were saying that you want people that are more invested to the company, right? They're they're hard workers and they have a track record. How do you do your due diligence on that? Um, well,
3: we,
1: we love founder run companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, historically, founder-run companies outperform companies with hired management. Mm-hmm. Uh, founder-run companies, mm-hmm. you know, a founder generally has a big stake, mm-hmm. a big equity stake in the firm, right? Okay. So there's, there's, uh, you have an alignment of incentives because mm-hmm. uh, he has a vested interest uh, more so than a normal CEO mm-hmm. uh, since his net worth mm-hmm. is likely tied into the uh, stock price. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we love founder-run companies uh we love companies, even if they're you know some companies are not founder run, but uh, it's a great management team. And mm-hmm. you know, we when I say management team, we're primarily looking at just the CEO, really. Oh okay. Right? Companies people don't realize companies are so top run. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, if you have a bad CEO, mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the the rest of the team's not going to be effective.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so um, so we you know we look at his background, what what he or she has done in the past. Um, uh, other enterprises and ventures that they've been involved in. Mm -hmm. And then we listen to uh, earnings calls where the CEO normally speaks. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we listen to how the CEO articulates his vision. Uh, Is he making decisions on a short term basis just to appease the market on a quarter by quarter basis? Mm -hmm. Or is he really, really investing for long term value creation? and so those are those are the metrics that we're looking for
0: got you and how do you do your research like on the ceo is that all public or do you have like certain certain uh, it's, it's, that you it's look all into? public okay got you it's
1: all public right like uh, almost every quarter uh all public companies have an, an earnings call mm. and normally there's A Q&A session in those earnings calls where the ceo is there and you have analysts asking questions mm. and so those are very informative uh but you know a ceo of a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company Mm. uh you know his resume is going to be online
3: um Mm.
1: and then there's i mean and there's there's certain folks that we love and like you know we're we're invested in these companies so long as that individual is at the helm and he's running the show Mm. we're just going to stay in long term just because we have so much faith in his ability to execute
0: got you got you uh aside from the information like the ceo and all that let's talk like the companies. Information, right? Is there like any free websites that you use? Do you use like Finviz? Do you use maybe Twitter? Or are you using like all like paid services?
1: Uh, we use a lot of paid services. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, SEC filings are free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so your quarterly reports, are 10 Q's, right? uh, your 10Qs, right? Your your PLs, your balance sheets, all that's available for free for, for every company. And so um, that's instrumental to our research. We also subscribe to paid services that are, have more analyst uh, reports. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can read those in details, uh, Or we can read those in detail. And then, you know, there's big investment banks uh, that uh, release their own research reports uh, mm-hmm. that we have licenses to. And, you know, we, use, we put all this data together and we help it inform our decision.
0: Mm-hmm. Got you, got you. Um, talk to me about some of the positions that you have right now.
1: Uh, well, um, I'll, I'll talk about uh, some of the longs that we have, right? Yeah. Some stuff that we're bullish on. Uh, so I, you know, I love uh, uh, CLX lately, Clorox. Okay. Uh, the financials are phenomenal.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, they uh, they make a couple hundred million dollars a quarter. There's mm-hmm. a solid three percent dividend yield. You know, I think anything below 170 is probably a good entry point. Hmm. Um. Let's see what else. New York Times is a big play for us right now. NYT, oh, wow. uh, you know, it's uh, it's not a newspaper anymore. It used to be a newspaper, but now it's a digital content site. Uh, <laughs> you know, they they have great subscriber growth online. Their online subscriber growth is insane. There's seven million paying subscribers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're sitting on a billion dollars in cash, okay. um, and they're pretty profitable. So I think the New York Times at current levels
2: mm-hmm.
1: is good. Um, I like Visa. I think it's a great entry point for Visa. Solid dividend yield on Visa as well. Um, you know, Visa is on its way to be known as what's called a, div- a dividend aristocrat. And a dividend aristocrat, it's a company that's been steadily paying a dividend uh, and also increasing said dividend annually for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. And so once you do that for 25 years, you become what's called a dividend aristocrat. And Visa, I think, has been doing it for about 15 now,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so uh, they're they're likely hit the 25 uh, to get that status. Um, and so I think it's a great long-term hold. Okay. Uh, they're they're in a they're in a spat with uh, Amazon right now in mm-hmm. the UK over uh, over their fees over the interchange rate, um, and Amazon threatened to stop accepting Visa as a payment method in the UK, uh, and so the stock's been taking a beating because of that. But you know, I think the issue will resolve itself. They'll strike some sort of deal, hmm. um, and when that happens, you can see a rebound. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, I've I've used the pullback to build up a sizable position in Visa. And then you know, I do a lot of tech, so I'm I'm long. I've been long Amazon, Google, and Netflix now for years. Hmm. Uh, but one of my new longs, it's a company called Zendesk, Z-E-N. Uh, okay. It's a cloud-based uh, CRM system. Uh, we use it extensively in my tech businesses, so we know, we know the tech well. Mm. Um, uh, but, you know, it's a subscription model, uh, so you have very predictable, stable revenue, and then you have a very solid growth clip on that revenue. Uh, they recently acquired a company called SurveyMonkey. Uh, the market didn't like it. The market thought Zendesk overpaid for it, mm. and so the stock got punished. Uh, but I think it's a temporary pullback. I think it's a good entry point, and we've used it to build up a... Sizable position on that. Um, we like, um, you know, I can keep going. We like, we like Kupang, uh, CPNG. Um, it's like the Amazon of South Korea. Uh, okay. They have like a 15% market share in South Korea. You compare that to Amazon in the states, has around 40%. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think over time, coupon will get similar mm-hmm. penetration in South in South Korea. And you know, here you're looking at uh, in this Korean market. You have 50 million people, 1.6 trillion dollar GDP. Um, so there's plenty of upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it, the market's big enough, and there's enough share left for coupon to grab. Um, and I think coupon will will come out on top in the Korean market because they've made some really solid investments uh-huh. in logistics and fulfillment, including uh, what's known as last mile delivery. Mm-hmm uh so you know amazon until, until recently amazon primarily relied on ups and fedex for their last mile delivery uh, but coupon it, it, it's interesting because they own the fulfillment infrastructure uh from the warehouse to delivery mm. and so they've invested in a, a lot of capex went into building this out and they built it out nationwide now in south korea um so so we're we're bullish on coupon um uh, it's you know it it went through a massive pullback this year, so it's probably a good entry point right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? Coupon is for South Korea. There's a company called Mercado Libre, right? The ticker's M E L I, uh-huh. and they're the Amazon of Latin America. So they're winning the uh, e-commerce game in Argentina, Mexico, Brazil, Colombia, Chile, um, in all, a lot of these Latin American countries. Mm-hmm. And you know this these countries have a combined population. Greater than the u.s and like a four trillion dollar gdp mm-hmm. combined uh and you know they're th- for the most part uh developing countries mm-hmm. and uh so they're they're growing economically at a pretty fast clip uh, so i like i like i like libra i think anything below 1300 is probably a good entry point point. Mm-hmm. and then I, I have some positions uh, in uh chinese tech uh specifically alibaba baidu Using ADRs mm-hmm. uh, in U.S. exchanges, and then uh, using and then I'm in I'm in Tencent in uh, in the Hong Kong exchange. Uh, Tencent has a bunch of gaming properties, and then they own WeChat, which is China's primary uh, messaging platform. Uh, but these these companies have been punished massively by the Communist Party in China mm-hmm. uh, recently, and all this government interference is, I think, creating good entry points. Uh, it is higher risk, right? Because capitalism is a wild west in China right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. President Xi uh, in China, he's he's interfered in the affairs of these companies with impunity and with little to no traditional oversight and rule of law. Mm. Um, and it's created a lot of risk for investors. And so the, the stock price reflects that risk right now. Um, and, but fundamentally... Uh, they're a steal at these prices mm-hmm. um, and so you know I have positions in them and you know the hope is that they figure out their issues with the Communist Party and once that regulatory risk dissipates uh, I think there's tremendous upside
0: mm-hmm. yeah especially going with with e-commerce I think there's a lot more upside potential I mean especially into the future you know but let me try to play devil's advocate really quick but what if you're wrong and and some of those stocks still continue going down
1: uh, well, you know, if, if these stocks keep falling, mm-hmm. I would, I would love it. You know, I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. get upset when, when, when stocks fall, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm bullish on them, because from my perspective, I mean, if I, I, I get euphoric when that happens to mm-hmm. me, it's, that's great because now I have an opportunity to buy more at an even better price. Yeah. Right. So, so long as, uh, as my thesis hasn't changed, short-term price movements don't phase me. Mm-hmm. Um, Right. With that being said, you have to manage your risk appetite when it comes to position concentration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're within your guidelines, you should buy more. Gotcha. And so that's what we do. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, when we see when we see tremendous downside, uh, or it was not tremendous, but when we see when we see downward movement on mm-hmm. something we're bullish on, we reevaluate and you know we pick up more. We dollar cost average down,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then eventually, uh, if our thesis proves to be correct, you know, and these stocks skyrocket. We just made more money. Mm
0: -hmm. So for for those stocks that you mentioned as well, um, because I know you got like some, it's a it's a little diversified. But is that going to be like the equity or is long term options?
1: Um, So if I'm if I'm if I'm bullish, I would either buy the stock outright. Mm -hmm. um, I would sell uh, puts Mm -hmm. um, for the you know, and so I would which would essentially require me to buy them if the stock falls a little bit more mm-hmm. uh but i would take i would take in premiums if it doesn't um sometimes i could buy calls if i'm really bullish mm-hmm. um and they could be two months three months a year two years out mm-hmm. um and so there's there's a million ways to play it right mm-hmm. uh but usually it's one of those three methods is what i'm doing
0: got you okay are you short on anything right now
1: i am i, I think i think it's healthy to have a portion of your portfolio. Uh, devoted to shorts, mm-hmm. uh, right? It's a good hedge. Um, you know, for for those of your listeners that don't know what a short is, a short is a bet against the price of the stock, right? So mm-hmm. you you'll make money if the price goes down. That's called a short position. And so we've had a sh- big short position in Snapchat, and we still do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, you know, you know, we think we think Snapchat is a dying platform. Instagram mm-hmm. is eating its lunch. Um, and I made a killing uh, at their last earnings report. Um, some weeks ago uh, when they fell from 75 to 55 overnight. Nice. Uh, right, so that yeah. worked out really well. Nice we think there's right more there. there's more downward momentum yeah. on Snap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're very bearish on that. Um, I'm bearish uh, on a lot of these EV stocks nowadays, mm-hmm. right? So specifically Rivian, Lucid Motors, Neo, um, you know, these, these prices, reflect a market cap that's divorced from reality Mm. um and i've been successful lately making short plays around them Mm. um i think eventually they'll fall back down to earth uh but right now they're just they're just laughably overpriced Mm. and it's
0: funny you bring up snapchat because i remember uh i'm gonna forget the price but i remember snapchat was so low i think it was like under 10 bucks or maybe around like under 20 I forget but it was such an obvious short that a lot of people got squeezed out right and like it, it had that crazy pop and that's why you're coming and taking advantage of the rest of the meat right
1: right yeah I didn't short it back then smart uh, as hell. <laughs> because yeah I think now is a better time obviously the yeah. price is a lot higher <laughs> Uh, but whenever you're short, there's a risk of a short squeeze. Yeah. And so you have to do certain things to hedge against that, right? You have to look at the institutional ownership of the stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it has a large percentage of institutional ownership, that means it's free-floating. Um, the, the, the the float of shares that are available for trading on a daily basis are probably limited. Mm-hmm. And that stock is more susceptible to a short squeeze mm-hmm. or a gamma squeeze. Uh, a gamma squeeze is essentially a short squeeze caused by the options market mm-hmm. uh, where the market makers have to go and buy the stock. Uh, and so it's 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 a risk. Um, short squeeze are painful. Um, and a lot of times you won't have the appetite to withstand it and you end up having to exit at a substantial loss. Uh, but that's the thing about short positions. They're dangerous. In a short position, you have unlimited downside risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? In a long position when you're buying stock, stocks the worst they can do is go to zero they can't go mm-hmm. below zero so you can you can lose 100 percent of your invested capital but in a short position you're not limited to that uh, you're betting against the stock it could double triple quadruple and mm-hmm. you have unlimited downside risk
0: and i think you're right um everyone i know and people that are younger know but everyone's like snapchat's lame snapchat's for old people and shit so at least from like the from a first point of view it's pretty much dead obviously you know the back end of that but <laughs>
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's it, the Wall, Wall Street is not fully understanding um, the pace of movement away from Snapchat
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, of how accounts are just becoming inactive. User growth is slowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so eventually Wall Street will, you know, get wise to this mm-hmm. and Snapchat will be punished
0: yeah and then what the funny thing is that, like Snapchat, like has a bag Sigma now because of all the like creeps and shit, and people are just being fucking weirdos. and, yeah, I mean, it's going wherever the girls are going, and if they don't like it, it's like peace, you know, kudos,
1: yeah,
3: yeah,
0: <laughs> but um, but what are your thoughts on um uh, on Tesla?
1: So you know, Tesla's an interesting beast. you know, I didn't mention Tesla uh, when I listed the EVs that I'm short on, yeah, um uh, because Tesla. You know, I would I would never buy it. I would never buy stock or be bullish on it. Mm. Uh, but I would also never sell it short.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, you know, Elon Elon is a genius, and I wouldn't bet against him. Uh, you know, Charlie Charlie Munger uh, he once said that he once said never underestimate a man that overestimates himself. Mm. Uh, now, Elon overestimates himself sometimes, but you know he's not <laughs> always wrong. Yeah. Right. He has a good share of wins under his belt. Um, and there are graveyards filled mm. with men who have bet against Elon uh, and <laughs> bet against Tesla. So, Michael Burry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael Burry tried to play it off. He tried uh, off, yeah, but we know, we know, you know, Michael Burry was right once, and that's back in way. Yeah, uh, he hasn't really been right since. Did you see that tweet uh,
0: where he was like, a clock <laughs> Elon tweeted at Michael Burry, uh, even a clock is right once a day,
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, yeah, but you know, I, I I look at things from an institutional value-based perspective, yeah. and Tesla is not even close to being viable using yeah. the metrics that I'm looking at. Um, yeah, so I I stay away from Tesla. Mm-hmm.
0: Kathy Wood's been on point though, but she's been selling a little bit of a uh, of her Tesla stake, no?
1: She has. She's been liquidating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, Kathy Kathy's been bullish on uh, high-priced uh, tech for a while, mm-hmm. and it's just been a great year for her because. Uh, there's been phenomenal returns on some of these high price tech companies lately. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and no, everything's pretty much like a freaking Wall Street bets. Everything's been going to the fucking moon, I guess, right?
1: Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> let
0: me ask you this too. Um, speaking of Elon as well, um, what do you think about Elon betting on Doge or propping it up so much, like your own personal opinion on that?
1: I think Elon likes to like – tweet things out to wreak havoc in the world and so yeah. a lot of it i think is just a power play of how he can with one tweet create billions of dollars in value yeah. uh uh so i think he's just having fun with it that and if sense. i was him i'd probably do the same thing <laughs> uh, it's i mean if you look he's not serious about it right yeah. like he doesn't have <clears throat> anything near significant dollars in in, in uh in doge
0: mm-hmm. Would you say that um, that Elon's like a man of the people? Because a lot of people usually go back and forth between saying like he's a populist or he's not, or he's just doing things just to do things. Or what are your thoughts on that?
1: He's not a man of the people. He's a man for the people. Okay. Uh, he, uh, the world needs him. Mm-hmm. Society needs him. Right. He's a true. Uh, innovator and entrepreneur in the most authentic sense,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and he's single-handedly created so much value. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: and and the way that he creates value, unlike other businessmen, uh, is he focuses on what's good for society, mm-hmm. right? So like just think about the impact he's had uh, on climate change alone. With because of him, you have all these EVs on the road, yeah. um, which are obviously much friendlier to the environment uh, than gasoline-based cars mm-hmm. um and then what he's done with the space program and spacex and uh solar city which is now part of part of tesla mm-hmm. uh so uh you know i think i think the i think the world the country should be grateful that he's there because he's he's really he's really doing a lot to drive our society forward
0: mm-hmm. Why do, why do a lot of people tend to like bag on him in your own opinion? Because obviously you, there's both spectrum. I right? like the, what you said, the more optimistic uh, point of view. But then there's also like a lot of hate, like if you look like underneath the surface too.
1: Um, you know, there was yeah, – if you look at Hollywood uh-huh. um, decades ago, uh, you had these movies where the villain was like the crazy scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a shift over mm-hmm. the last 15 years or so. And now the villain is not the scientist anymore. The villain is the businessman, right? Mm-hmm. The quote unquote, greedy capitalist. And so I think it's indicative of a societal shift okay. where people are villainizing wealth.
3: Oh, uh, don't
1: you. You know, this, this country, you know, used to respect the man in the limousine and now people throw eggs at him. Yeah. Um, and so it's a societal shift. Um, and when you have someone with that amount of wealth um hundreds of billions of dollars um it's some people see that from a socialist perspective of he shouldn't be allowed to have that Mm -hmm. right um right he couldn't have done what he did without the help of his employees and there should be more of an equitable distribution of this wealth Mm -hmm. uh i'm a you know i i don't I don't prescribe to that ideology. I think the man created value and he's created value, not just for himself, but Mm -hmm. for millions of other people, shareholders of Tesla, all employees get stock options. So he's created value for them. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, you know, he should enjoy the fruits of his success. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he's doing things with his money that are beneficial to society. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah,
0: no, I get you on that. I know two people that, that work at Tesla and, aside they they said they work a lot, but they really enjoy working for them because there's a lot of shift to the world in a positive way, you know
3: yeah,
1: exactly yeah it's uh, it's it has to be a fulfilling place to work
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah no I, I completely agree. I think I think it's really interesting. I even thought about working over there like a few years back when I was like still grinding, like trying to save up money for stocks and everything. And uh, I got to like the third interview and they were like, yeah, you're not good enough. Basically, I was like, man, <laughs> get the hell out of here. But no, I feel like that'd be a really cool spot to work at, you know. But going back to like yeah. the, the trading part, right? What are some mistakes that you think that beginner traders
1: make? um i think the biggest mistake that new traders make is when it comes to trade sizing Uh uh, where they take losses that are too big uh right and you know there's there's no there's no real damage done in taking a managed loss Mm -hmm. a measured and managed loss right that's part of the game is being wrong Mm -hmm. uh the problem is that recovery ladder um, when you emotionally negatively respond to taking a inordinate loss Mm-hmm. And so, like, let's say you lose fifteen, twenty percent, and you think, "Oh, damn! I want to, I want to be back to where I was. So I need to mm-hmm. make another twenty-five percent uh, to get back to that." Uh-huh. Uh, and so, I'll just trade bigger again because I'm sure I'll be right this time,
3: mm-hmm. right? And
1: that's that's a dangerous line of thinking, and it's 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 a rookie mistake, because at that point, your actions are being dictated by your emotions, mm-hmm. and investing and trading and emotions don't mix well, right? That's a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the biggest mistakes that the biggest mistake that young traders make. Mm-hmm. or new traders make is they don't trade to their account size
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, the positions are too big not diversified enough so it's bad risk management
0: mm. so what do you think is the minimum for a trader to start playing with because here's how i've seen it some people are like hey i have to put more exposure on because i have a smaller account right versus somebody who has like let's say 100k they're able to put maybe a, just a few percentage you know based on like the the monetary value itself and not on percentage terms how would you play that
1: so if you're if you're out there trying to double, triple, quadruple your money, mm-hmm. uh, you're probably not going to be able to do that and and in trying to, you're probably going to lose your your principal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so you know very rarely do people beat the market consistently. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. And when I say beat the market, right? The market yields 15-20% on a great year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can do that consistently years at a time, then you're a phenomenal investor, a phenomenal trader.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: the guys are looking for the hundred percent swings. You know, you may get that once or twice, but then on your third attempt, you're going to lose.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and then you're not, and that's, it may not be a loss that you can recover for because in order for you to double, triple your money, you have to, your, your, your bets have to be so large
2: Mm.
1: and, and you can't afford to be wrong. Um, so I think. You know, it's not really a question of how much money do you need to start trading. It's, mm. you know, you can trade with $10,000 and if you're being smart about it and your expectations are reasonable, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that should be the same thought process as if you had $100 million.
0: Okay. What do you think about leverage? So basically, no, I am I would assume from the previous answer, right? Or do you think just no, a certain no, time? No, no I,
1: I, think, I think there's a place for leverage. Mm. Um, I think you have to be careful. Uh, you don't want to over lever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, margin is limited in most cases one-to-one unless mm-hmm. you have something called portfolio margin. Um, but, you know, if you have an account that's 3x levered uh, on portfolio margin, it, you're going to, if there's a black swan or there's some unforeseen event, uh, some some geopolitical I- issue, mm-hmm. uh, um, then you're going to get wiped out, mm-hmm. right? Imagine if you were levered uh, March of 2020, when COVID happened, it would have been game over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say take no leverage. Um, I think, I think you have to be, you have to take leverage in a controlled way and you have to, you have to know when to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to over lever, you don't want to get greedy.
0: Mm-hmm. When for obviously you, you play your, your huge account as you would like a $10,000 account, when, when do you decide to go big? What, what looks phenomenal that like you wouldn't pass and, if you were to see a position like that how much would you put would it just be maybe like obviously i'm speculating right because i don't know but would it be like five percent ten percent and then you can fill in the blank from there because i'm curious personally on that
1: yeah so a five to ten percent concentration on a single company is plenty okay um i, I wouldn't go over that mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times i wouldn't even get to that uh but i've i've done five to ten percent positions on on a, on a singular firm mm-hmm. uh, i'd be more comfortable If the firm has a larger market cap, Mm -hmm. uh, because they're less likely to swing drastically, Mm -hmm. uh, right? So I'm not putting ten percent, fifteen percent of my portfolio in a small cap, Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh, you have to have diversification so you can handle being wrong sometimes Mm -hmm. because you're you're going to make mistakes and you're going to be wrong, Um, and so you just you don't want to have heavy concentration on a loser.
0: Mm -hmm. Got you. Got you. Has there been any time in recent history that you put on more of an appetite um, uh, for risk, basically? Because obviously, I'm sure you did at the beginning of the pande- pandemic to have that phenomenal yeah. year, right? That was like a certain opportunity. Or do you look for like those those huge events and then you proceed to take action that way?
1: Well, you know, I, I made uh, really good money uh, on Amazon back when the pandemic hit. Uh-huh. Um, and company called there's a, there's a company called Twilio T W L O that did really well for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we saw these as pro pandemic stocks. More people going to shop online. Mm-hmm. Twilio is a cloud cloud communication tool, so less in person interaction, you have more digital interaction, and that's how Twilio makes its money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know when I see gold and golden opportunity, I will constantly put more concentration on that. But mm-hmm. back in you know, in the pandemic, when we had that $91 million year, uh, you, we didn't have to over concentrate on a single company to get there Okay. because we were able to catch the low and then everything shot up. Mm-hmm. So we were okay. Just like, just staying there. Like we didn't have to, uh, you know, we didn't have to over concentrate. It wasn't necessary.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: What's the most risk you've taken on in your career as a trader? 'Cause obviously you're very you're very well planned out and meticulous, right, overall as a person and as a trader. But has there been any time in your career where you had to take extreme ends of, of risk or maybe a higher percentage than than you're currently taking right now?
1: If I'm analyzing a opportunity mm-hmm. and the risk profile is defined as extreme, I wouldn't touch it. Okay. Uh, it's this is this is a marathon, it's not a race. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, extreme risk means extreme returns, obviously, right? Risk is commensurate to returns, uh, but I'm not looking for extreme returns. Uh, I have hundreds of millions of dollars in the market. Uh, I don't need to try to double that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to risk losing it. Uh, you know, I'm looking to beat the market and I'm looking to do it consistently year over year, over year, over year, over year. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, not every year needs to be, uh, an eighty percent return or hundred and thirty percent return, uh, you know, I'm not gonna complain about a forty percent year. Mm. Uh, you know, that's not a problem. Uh, <laughs> not it's, still, it's still money. Yeah. yeah. Even I mean, if I even if I'm like twenty to thirty percent, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and that's that's where we are. Um, so you know, we analyze opportunities, uh, but we're not looking for things where the risk profile is defined as extreme, mm. right? We're looking for mid to moderate. And but you know we can do those we can do those all day long Mm -hmm. and when you do those with hundreds of millions of dollars you know you can do a lot of them
0: got you yeah yeah yeah. i think that's really important what you just said right it's it's a marathon not a race right um because a lot of people want to just go from zero to a hundred like in the lamborghini and just in life right because our attention span and isn't as It's people just don't have the right mindset, um, taking that advice away, right? What advice would you give to a young person that wants to be an entrepreneur?
1: Um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of young folks, you know, and I'm, I'm 32. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not that old myself, Mm -hmm. but I, I, um, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit and Mm -hmm. I started my businesses at a very young age. Uh, but I think there is. A, it's a detriment to start too early, uh, right? So my, my advice to a young person, you know, right out of school, uh, right out of college would probably be to go get a job in a larger company uh, in a space that interests you uh, because that work experience is an opportunity to learn how organizations work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in big companies, processes and ways of working are established and tested by decades mm-hmm. and they're proved to be successful um and you know young people should should work corporate and and use that job to observe how management makes strategic decisions and how they cope with issues Mm -hmm. um and and i think doing a corporate gig before you go out and you you start your own business and become an entrepreneur it helps develop um a sense of humility and resilience and competitiveness Mm -hmm. uh that that you're gonna need as a leader at a later stage when you have your own business.
0: It's really interesting that you say that because it's like what the corporate structure and companies have developed is the work smarter, not harder process. They already have these things set in in stone, right? Um, and I didn't really think about it that way, but reflecting back on the previous experience that I've had at a bunch of other companies, I see that reflecting into like my day-to-day actions right now and I didn't even realize until you pointed that out right now. Um, people like Gary Vee usually preach working for like a smaller company because you are more hands-on, um, with that position that you're in, whatever people are looking, um, to be in. Right. What, what are some differences and some advantages to being at a smaller business versus corporate in your opinion?
1: So, uh, working for a startup Mm -hmm. too early on, isn't going to give you the experience of being able to see how an organization, uh, that's mature and stable functions. Okay. Uh, right. Startups are chaotic. Um, and you have to be that way because you're small and you're nimble and you're trying to move quickly. Um mm-hmm. uh, uh, so, uh, which is, which is great, great, great experience. And there's a lot of the potential upside in working for a startup, especially if you're exposed to options, mm-hmm. I mean, stock options, um, in like a private company sense, uh, but. But working for a larger organization, it just gives you a lot more visibility in organizational structures mm-hmm. that work well. And and if your goal is to be an entrepreneur, well, eventually you want to be successful at being an entrepreneur. And being successful means that your business is growing
3: mm-hmm.
2: and
1: is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually it won't be called a startup anymore. Mm-hmm. And And for you... Uh, to be able to still run that organization effectively, it, it's very helpful if you have exposure and experience in big companies.
0: Mm. Got you. Okay. No, that's that's really interesting. I just kind of wanted to hear your perspective on that. Um, given this point where you're at in your life, how how important is making money now?
1: Um, it's a it's a it's a great question. Um, let me let, let me put it this way. So if I you know, if I if I were to offer you ten million dollars,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right, you would you would be ecstatic, right? It would be life changing, right? And you'd ask me, well, what's the catch, right? And let's say I said, well, the catch is, you don't wake up tomorrow. Well, you probably wouldn't take the ten million dollars at that point. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, it's interesting to look at it that way because what you're saying is every day that you're alive is worth more than $10 million to you. Um, and so it's important to understand that, right? There's, there's more to life than money. And, you know, it's easy for me to say, right. Cause I have plenty of it, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I don't let it define me and I don't let it be the only thing about me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I wake up each day and I'm grateful that I'm young and healthy and I can enjoy myself and, Having the resources, you know, it just makes things even better. Uh, but it's not—it's not the most important thing in life.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what would you say is the most important thing in, in your life?
1: Um, you know, we all—we all just want to be happy, right? right? Isn't isn't that the common denominator among all men, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's how success should be measured—is—is is engaging, how happy you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if you, if you wake up every day and you're miserable, um, and even if you're wealthy, uh, what's the point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, most, most men, they live these lives of quiet despair, mm-hmm. uh, where they wake up in the morning and they go to a dead end job with a boss that they hate. They come home to a nagging wife. Uh, they're not happy at work they're not happy at home
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they're stuck they're stuck in this in this cycle and one day they realize that their youth is gone and they haven't you know and they don't they don't their life didn't turn out the way the way that they wanted it to
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and you know it sucks because you can't you can't make time right once once that's gone that's gone yeah so, uh, I think people fall into these traps, into you know these lives of quiet despair,
2: mm-hmm.
1: by wasting opportunity when they're younger. Uh, you know, when you're younger, you don't have a mortgage, you don't have children, you don't have a spouse, right? You're truly free, and because you're free, you sh- you should have a big risk appetite, and you should make dramatic moves and try to better your situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, before you go out and you end up with all of these, you know, all of these ties and ropes and, you know, you end up, you end up handcuffed for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so, yeah, so I think the most important thing is, is to be happy and figuring out what makes you happy. And, uh, you know, the science says money only takes you so far. Mm. They did some studies um, on, on um, the relationship between wealth and happiness and they found that after a certain certain number is diminishing. Mm. Um, and I think that number was like 75k or something, right? So long mm. as your necessities are taken care of, mm. um, it more money doesn't necessarily make you more happy. Um, they also did studies where they went into different societies um, and they looked at, you know, what cult, what what societies are happier than others? And what they found is that some of the happiest people in the world, they live in small villages in third world countries, mm-hmm. um, which is which is kind of contrary into normal thought process, right? These people don't have things like running water, electricity. That's regular.
3: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, they don't have some of what we what we deem to be the necessities and basics of life. But as a people, they're much happier, and the reason is because they live in these small communities. And everybody knows each other and so they have such strong social ties Um, and you know human beings are social creatures it's it's relationships that make us happy more than money Mm -hmm. it's the people that we're around it's our friends and our family and um, yeah
0: what's really interesting to me is that it seems like you've you've attained a lot right you've got into the level of success where most people aspire to be and most people won't like it it is what it is that's just reality right but you end up somehow being happy a lot of people that have attained that exact same success are generally probably the most miserable people and i would for whatever reason right they don't have good company and all that what why why do you think you're different what what lessons were you able to pick up from from the grind all the way up Is there anything that stuck with you? Because it seems like you got it right. I don't know how, uh, and I'm happy that you did, but it just kind of throws me in for a loop, you know?
1: Um, you know, I, I, I spent the majority of my life, um, observing Mm. and I see things around me, um, a lot. And, you know, and I, I know the people that you're the type of people that you're talking about that, you know, on paper, uh, look like they have everything going for them, but they're really miserable. They're they're not happy at all, mm-hmm. um, and the money is not helping. Um, and so I've I've met a lot of people like that over the years. I'm I I'm, I'm exposed to a lot of people that you know are very successful economically and they're very accomplished. And a lot of them are my friends. Um, and over the years um as i've talked to these folks um it kind of helped eliminate how to live my own life Mm
0: -hmm. so i guess it was more like i guess i'm i guess i'm at a loss for words i had something on the top of my head but i kind of messed that up um so that's that's not my fault right that's that's obviously but you know but yeah man i whatever you're doing i mean it seems like you got it right because i feel like the further you go in regards to like having money right like, like like, let's stick to that i feel like that disassociates and disconnects you from a lot of people hence kind of going back to like the communistic point of view that people look on the wealthy right and it pushes you down even deeper and a lot of people were like oh why are you gonna cry about him he has a few million dollars or a billion dollars or whatever you know
1: yeah wealth disassociates you uh, from like the plights of common man yeah. uh you know and like even in my own life i'm disassociated from like a lot of while other people deem to be as normal mm-hmm. right like i haven't gone to a grocery store in years or like gone to like walmart or something right i have if i need something like i have people that bring it to me uh-huh. um and so living living that way you do kind of disassociate from what a lot of people go through on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. um uh, and you know, like I don't cook, I have a chef, I don't clean, I have a maid. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so like things, things like that. Uh, But that doesn't mean that I disassociate from people emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I'm sitting with friends of mine that uh, are living a very different life from me, uh, I can still relate to them because we're still human beings at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Right. And aside from these day to day differences, you know, we're all kind of the same, right? We're, we all have relationships and we all have friends and family and we have similar issues and concerns. And there's just a million things to like to relate with people mm-hmm. on an emotional level uh, to where you can put the money aside. It's not, doesn't matter at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. All I know is I aspire to be to that level where I can have the wealth and the happiness because I don't I don't yeah. want to go without one or the other. You know, happiness is really important because like you said, if you could have $10 million but your life ends tomorrow, I wouldn't take it. I know that for a fact because right. what matters most is relationships and I think that's really important to, to point out, man. So, I mean, I really thank right. you for your wisdom when it comes to that. Of um, course. Where can people follow you?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I have an Instagram, uh, CEO 10 X, that's CEO one zero X. Uh, if you follow me, uh, fake accounts will likely follow you back people <laughs> pretending the to be one. me and try to scam you. So be careful of that. Um, uh, I only have one Instagram, uh, and, uh, if someone follows you back with my name in my picture and DMs you, it's not me. Um, but I have, there's, Scammers out there trying to use my information to convince people to do like crypto or something like that. I don't do crypto and I don't talk to strangers. Uh, <laughs> but you're welcome to follow me, CEO10x on Instagram.
0: Yeah, dude, I've had like ten, ten fake accounts of you, yours already follow me. <laughs> I like minimum. Yeah. I'm like, what the heck?
1: Yeah, it's just something I have to deal with. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, you should probably request the um the verification because I don't know what the number is, but I know somebody that works on uh at Facebook and they've told me that um that if x amount of uh, fake accounts come up they'll verify you so that way you can discern from the fakes
1: okay for future reference yeah but yeah i'll look into that
0: yeah awesome man i really appreciate your time i'll talk to you later man okay
1: Uh, thanks bye